0: I bet that you won't get up on stage and talk about football this Sunday. And I'm not a chicken. So I'm going to tell you that I, I see no reason not to think that the United States uh, men's soccer team can win the World Cup this year. I see nothing's changed. I have full confidence in them. So um, if you have your Bibles, Matthew, uh, sorry, First Peter. I got so used to years of that. It's like ingrained in my brain. Uh, 1 Peter 3, we're talking today about baptism. Um, we've been doing this short little series talking about what we call the Protestant sacraments. Now, if you grew up in a Catholic tradition or have family that are Catholic or have been around Catholic communities, um, the the Catholic church defines a larger set of sacraments. But when the Catholic church and the, well, when the Protestants broke away from the Roman Catholic church, um, they affirmed, and we for hundreds of years have affirmed just two sacraments. Now, a sacrament, if you're new to church world, sacrament may not be a word. You have any clue what it means, right? Um, at the root of it uh, is, is the word sacred. Uh, um, sacred, in, in week one, we talked about that in the Hebrew language, the words sacred and holy are actually the same word, right? And so you can get from that that what we're talking about when we talk about sacraments is that there's something holy. And, and one of the ways we talk about this is that these sacraments are um, things with which we receive divine grace is one of the theological terminology. This is what it means. There are some things in our faith that we do nowhere else, right? Like, like you might sing, right? And, and you might do karaoke. You might go to a concert. You might hear other people sing. That might be something that you do, right? Right? Um, so that's not a sacrament, but what we're talking about are these things in our faith that God's instituted and they are unique to the Christian faith in no other part of your life, right? You're not going to be like, um, uh, you know, in your, in your, uh, uh, you know, lunch at work and be like, guys, I'm so glad I've gathered you together today. Uh, I just, I want to take a little, um, time to take this grape juice and remember Jesus, right? Right? You're not going to. It's, it's a thing that we only do in our faith, right? And so last week we talked about communion. This week we're talking about baptism. And so I want to look at a little section in 1 Peter 3. We're going to start in verse 18, right? And so if you, if you want to follow along, you can read there. Otherwise, let me read it to you. And then we're going to talk about the role of baptism and the image and, and what's going on. So it says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he, being Jesus, went and, and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely Through the water, that's an important phrase that Peter wants us to see. Safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, here's why I think it's important for us to have this conversation about baptism. First, For some of us, um, you may not have had a lot of time in church or any time in church. And, and uh, maybe you've seen a baptism or you don't even have a clue what we're talking about. If we're going to be honest, if we can just, for all of us who've been in church for decades and decades and we've become very used to the rhythms of the faith, uh, just for a moment, just imagine, it is a bit of a weird thing to observe if you have no idea what's going on. If you just show up to a church, and, and maybe that's you you, you, you have no clue what baptism is about, you have no clue what this following Jesus thing is about, and we're like, we're so excited today! Someone's going to take a bath in front of all of us! It's a little bit like, What? Or maybe, maybe it's just the truth that you've spent years and decades in the church. Maybe you were baptized, but it was long, long ago. It is one of those things where you kind of just start to forget about some of the importance of it. Um, It's like, um, by any chance, any Bears fans, Chicago Bears fans here today? Any Bears fans? One, one Chicago Bears fan. Now he should know this, okay? He should know this. But on the side of the bear's jerseys, there are three letters. Besides him, anybody remember what three letters are there? G-S- GSH? Or sometimes they change the, the image. Sometimes it did show up in certain ones as GHS. Um, anybody know what, what it's there for? George Hallis. George Hallis, right? It's in his honor. But so often... We just see it that a lot of you have never even noticed the letters are on the side. Or maybe you noticed them and you're like, well, the bears don't start with any of those letters. Chicago doesn't start with any of those letters. Like, what are those? And for some of us, baptism has been like that. We've become so used to it. And we see people come get baptized. And we're like, oh, yeah, another baptism. And we begin to forget that baptism is one of those two things we believe. That God said there is something uniquely special in this moment. There is something holy and sacred in this beautiful, simple little moment of immersing someone in water, which is an important point we actually should um, address. When, when you're looking and you see it right here, um, if you're following along, you look at verse 21, it says this, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Now, for a lot of historical reasons, um, we made up a word. I guess when you're making languages, you're always making up words, right? Like every word is eventually made up, right? But, but, when they, but when translators were translating, they made up a word for baptism. In the Greek, the Greek is really clear. It's a really simple word. It's a very common word, right? The, the word is baptismo, um, in fact, it's such a common word. The most common occurrence of the word baptismo in, separ- in, in uh, secular Greek writing is when they're talking about someone washing dishes. Like, it was just such commonplace. It, the, the word baptismo literally means immerse. Now, for a lot of theological reasons over the years, um, translators felt more comfortable making up a word because um, there were kind of certain some theological convictions going into it about what baptism should look like and what baptism meant. But in the Greek, like as Peter's writing, if you were to translate it literally, he would just say, corresponding to that, immersion now saves you. Right? It's just that simple. There's, a, there's another word or phrase. Um, your translation might say something different. If, if you've got a Bible and you're bold enough in front of you, if you have something different than the NASB, I, I'd be curious to hear what yours says. Mine says this. The first phrase of verse 21 says, corresponding to that. Okay, does does anyone have a different translation that says something different? That's bold enough to say something out loud? Okay, no? Okay. Um, In first service, um, you know, some, one of them said relating to. Um, Another, this was a great translation. I thought this was a great translation. It says, as a symbol of, right? As a symbol of, um, the word there is this Greek word, and, and this, it matters, this is where we're going today. The, the Greek word is antitopos. antitopos right? Um, the root word for it is the word typos, which is where we get the word in English, type, right? That when you're typing, like if you, you know, I know when you're typing on a computer now, you're hitting and zeros and ones shoot across the electrical pathways and make images show up on a screen. But old school, like with the typewriter, right? Clank, 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 clank. You would have an image and you would push it and it would type. It would smash that image against a piece of paper and it would leave a mark. This is what that word is, the mark. In fact, here, let me, um, let me show you. I, um, our church is hundred and who almost knocked my water over. Our church is 170 years old, and so when the church is that old, you end up with a bunch of weird artifacts around. And this is amazing. This sits in my office. Um, it's probably older than I am, um, and I don't know what it's technically called. Uh, uh, in first service, some people said, It's called an embosser. So sure, we're gonna go with that. It's called an embosser, okay? Look at this, okay? You've seen this, right? It, it makes a seal. Now, I, I'm fully aware you're not gonna be able to see this. This is a bad object lesson. When you're teaching to large crowds, you should have a large object lesson. And this is a bad one. But when I press it, right, it makes the seal. I tried to pencil it so that you guys could maybe see a little better on this side. It makes the seal. This is the antitapos, right? This is, this is not this, but this is the mark left by this. What Peter's saying is that there is a thing going on in baptism, in Jesus saving you, there's a thing going on. And baptism isn't the thing, but it's this thing. It's, it's the, the image left over. It's the mark left on us. A phrase that we'll often use when we're talking about baptism, we'll, we'll say um, that baptism is an outward sign Of an inward reality. It's a sign of a greater reality. In, in fact, um, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews, we're going to get into Hebrews um, in January, the writer of Hebrews really likes this language, and he talks a lot about Jesus, and he talks about, um, which is good if you're writing in the Bible talk about Jesus, but he talks about that Jesus is, is the image of all of these things, all these antitiposes that appear. But, um, like one of the examples is he uses, he talks about the, the tabernacle or the temple, Right? And he says the tabernacle in the temple is constructed in the way that it is because it's a map. It's an image of a greater reality. There is the spiritual temple, there is the spiritual tabernacle, and, and this one that we have in front of us is just this it's just the mark left by the real thing. And the real thing's better. That's basically the whole premise of the book of Hebrews, right? So you don't have to come for the next two and a half years during sermons because the whole premise is Jesus is better than the the images. He is the real thing, right? This is what Peter's talking about, which is why he brings up the flood, right? He says, he's talking about before baptism, right? And and he says, um, the flood's kind of like this, right? The flood is this entitipos of this thing going on inside of us. And before we talk about the flood, I just want to acknowledge, right? I just, we all have different places right now that we're in in our faith. Like for some of you, the conversation, the story of the flood may be a very uncomfortable one. I just want to acknowledge, like it could be. The story of God sending this flood that wipes out almost all of humanity could be a very uncomfortable story. And I think that when we read it, we should read some discomfort, but what Peter's saying is that what happened to the earth in the flood is like what happens to you in baptism. That, that God, that, that there's this world of humanity. And if you remember the story, right, it begins in Genesis, and they're in the garden, and everything's good, and everything's right, and there's life, and goodness, and rejoicing, and beauty, and, and everything's the way it's supposed to be, right? And, and then um, we as humanity begin to choose rebellion, We begin to choose death. Uh, In fact, one of the early stories of humanity is the story of murder and violence. And we choose murder and violence and rebellion over the goodness of God. And after generation, after generation, after decade, after centuries... This violence begins to mature into a, a place where all of humanity is corrupted and broken. And here's the thing, part of the story you have to know about, the, the story of Noah. Um, God didn't, like, see a whole world that was messed up and then saw Noah and was like, that's the man, a moral, upstanding, perfect dude I'm going to start over with. Right? Like, Noah, if you read the stories, was like... Um, the best option of a lot of bad options that God had in a broken world who chosen death and, and, and uh, rebellion over him. Noah's family itself was all kind of messed up, but God was going to cleanse. He was going to repair. He was going to wash away the violence and the anger and the murder and the wickedness of this planet. And what Peter's telling us is that there's something about that story that we should see In baptism, that in baptism there's something, there's a a mark in us of God washing away the unrighteousness because, because you see, it's not just them that chose violence and death and rebellion and murder, it's us. In fact, Jesus says that every single time we have hate in our heart, we are choosing murder and violence over the way of Jesus. Jesus. And that because of God's good mercy and his grace, he will send a kind of rain that through the water we might be cleansed of all unrighteousness, of all rebellion. Now this image of being saved through water, it's, it's, an, image, um, it's an image that God seems to like using Right? We can see, if you, if you watch through scripture, through the story of God's people, he uses this image of saving his people through water over and over and over again. Um, the, the most iconic, the central foundational story of what it means to be a Jew is the story of the Exodus. Right? And there are people who are um, enslaved in a foreign land, oppressed, um, uh, in, in receiving violence and mistreatment right? And God, by his mighty hand, comes to rescue him. Here's the, 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 one of the most astounding things I think about the story, is a lot of times when we're reading the story of the Exodus, we think that like th- th- there were these people in Egypt, and God freed them, and then all of a sudden, in the desert, they started grumbling. And we're like, what? What are you grumbling about? The, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, they're people just like us, and the grumbling is happening in Egypt while God is saving them, while God is doing these miraculous works by His mighty hand, they're grumbling and complaining to Moses. And solely because of God's goodness, He saved them, he just just like us. We are a whiny people. Can we just be honest? Right? You see it in everybody else. You know the people you work with, the people in your family, that you're like, oh, my goodness. All they're going to do is complain. When it's sunny out, it's too hot. When it's raining, I don't want to get wet. Right? That's us. Every single one of us. And yet, in spite of our whining, in spite of our um, grumbling, God saves us. And he leads the Israelite people out to the edge of the the Red Sea. And standing in front of them is this massive body of water. And coming behind them is the violence of the world. Those who held them in bondage, who want to crush them, consume them in violence and death. And they stand between this body of water and this army hanging down on them. And God, by his mighty miraculous hand, parts the waters. And they're saved Through the waters. Through the waters. This is is the image that God loves to use over and over, that we are a people who have been saved by his mighty hand, who've been delivered through the waters. And Peter sees this image all throughout Scripture, and he sees it continuing in the practice of baptism. Baptism that we who were rebellious, that we who were grumbling, that we who were enslaved to our own brokenness and the brokenness of others, who, who, who carried bondage around, that God by his mighty hand freed us and delivered us through the water so that we might be his people, that we might be called sons and daughters of the king. If you watch scripture, you see it, all throughout this image of God saving and when he saves his people, he leads them through the water. And in baptism, just as we see in the flood, God cleanses our unrighteousness. That as we see in in the Red Sea, um, uh, God through the water calls us his possession, his children, his his nation, his treasured possession. The Israelite people are out in the wilderness uh, several decades later still, God's been teaching them what it means to be his people and there comes the moment where he's gonna lead them into the promised land. remember this? They're in the desert. God's preparing them for everything that's gonna happen and Joshua now is gonna lead them through and and what's he gotta do? He's gotta lead them through the river. They're in a land of barrenness, of death, of desolation, of abandonment, of loneliness and God's going to lead them through the Jordan River into the land of life the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where God's gonna set up camp, right? When they're in the wilderness, they've been moving around, they've been following God wherever he leads them, but it is a place of forsakenness. It's a place of unsettledness. It's a place of anxiety and stress, but God's gonna lead them through the Jordan River and he's going to set them up as a nation. He's gonna establish a a place in Jerusalem and a temple where his presence will sit amongst them that he will dwell amongst his people forever. But how does he do it? taking them from the land of desert and deprivation to the land flowing with milk and honey. He leads them through the water. The interesting thing about this story is, um, you know how the water stops? Well, God stops the waters, right? But you know when the water stops? Not until they put their feet in the river. The Red Sea, they get to stand at the side and Moses raises his staff and the wind blows and whoa. Then they walk through a Dragon. Can you imagine how terrifying that moment would have been? Right? I mean, just try to fathom hundreds of feet of water on both sides. We don't know how, how wide the space was that they walked through, but they're walking through this space, and there's just water. You remember, if you're old enough, you remember the movie The Prince of Egypt? Um, I, I love, in The Prince of Egypt, they got the, like, whale. So, now, there weren't whales in the Red Sea. There aren't whales in the Red Sea. But it was a cool image, right? Like at any moment, these walls that were being held up by God's sovereign hand could crush down in you. That would have been a terrifying moment to make the step, to make the choice to step through the water to find freedom and to find sonship. And the Israelite people, they stand in the wilderness, and God says, I want to take you to the land of the living, to the land of life, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of goodness and hope and freedom. But to do it, you have to put your feet in the water so that I can deliver you through the water. It's this image that God loves to use over and over and over again. But it's not an image that's actually about the water. Look at what Peter says. You remember? He says this, corresponding, that, that's our word, and to tipos, baptism now saves you, not the removal of the dirt from the flesh. It's not about needing a bath. It's not about the water itself, but he says this, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That word, appeal. Appeal, it, it's, it's, um, they translate as kind of court language, but it's, it's a request, Right? When you're making an appeal of a judge, you're making a request, and when you make an appeal to a judge, you make a request with evidence. Right? And here's what Peter's saying, is that baptism, baptism in the presence of God, is you making an appeal with the evidence of the stamp on your life, of the evidence of, of saying, "God did this, that Jesus did this thing inside of me." and here's the evidence laying on the outside. That, that baptism, as we said, is an, is an outward expression of an inward reality. The baptism is the moment where we stand in front of others and we let God mark us. There's this great image. Paul picks up on this and he uses a little bit different image. But he says that, um, that what God does when he saves us is he circumcises our heart. He scars a part of our being with his name for all time. So when we come to baptism, when we come to be baptized, when we come to celebrate somebody else's baptism, we are watching that moment in history where God is marking the person's life and soul that because, just as, just as Noah, that in the face of, a, of an unrighteous world given to violence that Noah could have never fixed, God cleansed. That just like the Hebrew people, that finding themselves in bondage, enslaved, consumed by bitterness and anger and brokenness and rebellion, that God, by his mighty hand, freed them. That just as like they find themselves in the wilderness, in a land of desolation and deprivation, that God invites them into a life of life and goodness as sons and daughters. See, this is what is happening in us when we choose to get baptized. God's putting a mark on us. We are stepping into the waters so that God might forever mark us as his own. And when the day comes that you stand before Jesus, it won't be the mark that saves you, but it's the truth of the reality that stands behind it that as we immerse ourselves in the water to be cleansed of all unrighteousness, it is because of Jesus alone that we find hope and salvation and freedom. And so this morning, so for this morning, for, for some of you, um, maybe, maybe you haven't been baptized before, right? And you've never really understood the symbol. It's been something we've talked about. You've maybe even saw, seen other people get baptized. It just never really made sense to you. Maybe today, even in the midst of anxiety or anxiety, Fear, you need to stand at the edge of the Jordan River and you need to put your feet in the waters so that you might be delivered into the land of life. Maybe, maybe for some of us, um, we've just forgotten. Maybe, maybe in all the busyness and all the stress and all the fears and all the the things pulling at your life, you begin to ask questions and doubt and wonder does God even care? Does He even notice? Does He remember me? Does he care about anything that's going on in my life? And I pray that today, that it would be a reminder back to that moment when God marked you. That when he pressed his salvation and his goodness on your soul, that you might remember a verse we like to quote often around here, that he who gave his own son for you, what more will he not give for you? So may we be people who walk, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, with boldness and courage, knowing that it is by Jesus' blood and God's might alone that we've, been called, that we've been saved and called sons and daughters of the King.